We are um, doing a special version of Sermon Underwear, which is, we'll call it uh, Zooming Underwear, no, a Zoomcast of Sermon Underwear. And so it's uh, where we where we look at the, the stories and the information that is underneath the sermons that happen at, at First Lutheran. And uh, today uh, have uh, the two fellow clergy with me. Um, we have uh, Reverend Thomas Early, Hey, and um, my uh, associate and partner Brian Jack. Howdy. Second Corinthians chapter two, verses one through eleven. That's why I decided not to make another visit that could only be painful for both of us. If by merely showing up I would put you in an embarrassingly painful position, how would you then be free to cheer and refresh me? That was my reason for writing a letter instead of coming, so I wouldn't have to spend a miserable time disappointing the very friends I had looked forward to cheering me up. I was convinced at the time I wrote it that what was best for me was also best for you. As it turned out, there was pain enough just in writing that letter, more tears than ink on the parchment. But I didn't write it to cause pain, I wrote it so you would know how much I care. Oh, more than care. Love you. Now, regarding the one who started all this, the person in question who caused all this pain, I want you to know that I am not the one injured in this as much as, with few exceptions, all of you. So I don't want to come down too hard. What the majority of you agreed to as punishment is punishment enough? Now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. If all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him in it. My counsel now is to pour on the love. The focus of my letter wasn't on punishing the offender, but on getting you to take responsibility for the health of the church. So if you forgive him, I forgive him. Don't think I'm carrying around a list of personal grudges. The fact is that I'm joining in with your forgiveness, as Christ is with us, guiding us. After all, we don't want to unfittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. All right, and then our corresponding gospel lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, and I chose the message translation uh, for this because uh, (laughs) I just like how Jesus replies to Peter here. So verse 21, at that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven, the gospel of the Lord. Um, Which brings me to a question that's kind of popping up for me in in both of these texts. There seems to be a time aspect to forgiveness. Um, Paul has, so we're in the second, uh, this letter that's called 2 Corinthians for us, um, that comes at some point after what we have that's called 1 Corinthians, but we get an indication in this particular passage that Paul wrote another letter 
at least one other one between these uh, to address his pain that he's been put through by someone else. And now some more time has passed and he's talking to them about uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. And I'm often reminded by colleagues not to be too quick to um, declare a word of forgiveness that people need to experience their guilt, which I'm never quite sure how to take. You know, as a pastor, I consider it that it's my calling, it's, it's my public office to be the public forgiveness person, that when you can't get forgiveness from anyone else, at least you can go to the public forgiveness house and hear a word of, of forgiveness. And so when I'm encouraged to, encouraged to let someone sit with their guilt for a while longer, I'm, I wonder exactly what that's about. Um, and I've come to realize in, in my personal relationships that to say I'm sorry isn't like magic words that instantly makes things okay. And that there, there is some kind of time aspect, even if someone can say, I forgive you, um, there is some time aspect in that for that to actually become more than words, but a reality. So I just kind of want to get your two cents on that. Uh, if anybody's ever told you to not to be too quick to forgive or, um, or what your thoughts are on this, this time aspect of confession forgiveness. Well, he asked for two cents, Perry. So we only have to give one a piece. <laughs> oh, um. cool. <laughs> that should be easy. Catch me with my words. <laughs> okay. So I just, I mean, have one, yeah, the one cent, you know, and, and that, that is that I don't think anybody's going to show up to the pastor like 10 minutes after they've done something and are feeling really guilty. Um, they're going to be wallowing in that for a while before and not being able to process it before they come and say, hey, you know, here's what happened. And I'm really struggling with this. So in my mind, uh, they are already going to have wrestled with their their guilt for for quite a while before they show up to show up to us, especially if it's in a one on one on one situation. I think sometimes people do need to come to grips with what they've done wrong, but I think sometimes there's a difference between wanting to feel better and wanting to be better or do better, if you will. And I think when we have sinned against someone or done something wrong, when we're stuck with all those yucky feelings, we want to feel better right away. Like that's, we, we don't like to feel bad. That's human nature. But sometimes it might take us some time to figure out what being better or doing better looks like. And, and, Sometimes it does take some time to figure that out and to desire that. I think that that's a, uh, a more complicated desire simply than wanting to feel better. Yeah, as I think about my experience, that's, you know, immediately as I want to personally feel better, I, I'm always self-interested first and foremost. And so, yeah, I'd much rather just be over what I'm feeling. And it does take time for me to get after what Paul is talking about really in this letter is reconciliation. He's, he talks towards the end of what you read, Tom, there in 2 Corinthians. He talks about, um, I'm doing this for the sake of the health of the church, he said, right? Something like that. And so you don't hear self-interest. He's not out to like, I really want to nail this guy. You know, he said, whatever punishment you came up with is uh, well enough on its own. And he's really interested in 
the the mentality, the health of the whole congregation of reconciliation, which is goes beyond, as you said, how do I feel and I want to get to feeling better. So, yeah, that's a, that's a helpful distinction too. And Perry, like the scent that you uh, uh, offered there. Um, yeah, I definitely think like in a one-on-one, -on -one, if somebody comes and sits down and wants to talk confession and forgiveness with me, um, I think where I get the pushback sometimes is like, we have corporate confession and forgiveness. So everybody together in a worship service is confessing and forgiving. And uh, they're like, I really want people to, to sit with their guilt for a while longer. <laughs> but I think that that's driven by the same thing to get back at uh, what Father Tom was talking about too, is that's still self-interest. Like I want that person to suffer because that will make me feel fill in the blank. You know, so it makes me a little curious what that's after when someone raises that kind of objection to forgiveness. So if I go, go back to my sermon on Sunday, referencing uh, verse four of the 23rd Psalm, talking about that um, journey through the darkest valley. Um, when people are struggling with, with deep guilt, uh, that deep need for forgiveness or to be able to forgive somebody, um, it becomes a journey. And it's not, it's not like this one and done thing. Um, and so uh, it, it, it becomes a, a long process through, through a dark valley. And, and you struggle with that and you need, you need somebody sometimes anyway to, to walk with you through that, that valley and you can't, can't do it yourself. I like how you said it's not a one and done thing. And Jesus says, it's not even a seven thing, hardly. <laughs> Try <laughs> 70 times seven. Um, so there is something perpetual about this forgiveness that needs to happen again and again and again. I mean, the, the whole reason we come back every week and have to confess, want to confess, to hear those words again of forgiveness. Perry, to your point too, one thing I have discovered about the Holy Spirit for my for my life and under I read this I read this really good book it's called A Season for the Spirit it's by a guy named Martin Smith and he has a great story he he was a he was this really adventurous uh teenager um and kind of a nerd too and he's from England right he's living in England and he had heard that hundreds of years ago there was a well nearby that was actually a shrine it was a shrine and you know there is a belief at one point that the waters from this well would make you well that's where we get the word well from is from people taking places people to these uh, water springs and then you have shrines that build up over them and so he but this shrine had been lost and he couldn't find it and it had been lost to history and so he thought he was going to find this well and so he was looking for it and looking for it. And he was walking down this road that he thought it would be on. But all he saw was this, um, this cow pasture, or actually this, this cow pen kind of. And, there, and, and he looked in there and he saw this really muddy pond. And he gets to thinking, huh. And he goes in and he starts digging around in this pond. And then soon he finds that this long lost well has been under all this mud and cow leftovers for for years and he talks about how that this is 
such a good example of how where the Holy Spirit lives. The Holy Spirit doesn't live in sort of this cleanliness of the mind that lives in our guts. It lives in um, uh, sometimes, well, yeah, it's, it's where we get the idea of the guts. It lives in the place of instincts and things like that. And I think when we're talking about, you know, conviction and guilt and forgiveness, the Holy Spirit will sometimes stir stuff up in us. If we believe that Jesus, you know, the, it's, if the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, sometimes Jesus will rearrange the furniture and not ask for our permission in us. And so I see that sometimes, you know, the when we invite the Holy Spirit to come with us, we get this feeling of conviction. The Holy Spirit might say, you know, this thing that you've been doing forever, maybe that's not so great. Maybe you need to think about that. Or maybe this behavior that you've been doing has affected people in a way that you didn't know about. And so I agree. I think that when you travel with God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, sometimes that sin can kind of get kicked up in you to your awareness. You that know, was a long I, story for, I, I don't know if the payoff was as good as I was. <laughs> no, that was a, that was a great one for me. And uh, the, the good news I heard in that is the spirit is not restricted to the cleanliness of the mind, which I was thinking, well, that's really great news because I seem to have a shortage of that. So um, <laughs> it's good to know the, the spirit is at work and all the mud that's in there too. One other thing I kind of want to bring to attention, I tacked on this last verse here of the second Corinthians one through 10. I wanted to add verse 11 where Paul writes, after all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. So what do you suppose, uh, Paul, you know, I've kind of got an idea, but uh, what do you think Paul is talking about there when he says, after all, we don't want to leave this up to Satan's sly ways? To me, that would probably be um, revenge, um, some type of bitterness and anger and and that it, that it just gets carried away to the point where it's that's now out of control and trying to figure out a way to to uh, punish this person. And then it becomes a whole uproar as to how much and not enough. And, and then you've got everybody divided and who knows where we're going to go then. And once again, the mission is off of the gospel and it, it becomes about this person and this person's sin. My one sentence. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I think that when we're looking for reconciliation, sometimes there's a temptation to revenge. And I, and I think that sometimes we think that revenge is what um, will satisfy that hole in us that being wronged creates. And that's, that's simply a temptation. It's not really, I don't think that that's from God. And reconciliation is more than just revenge. I love what you guys brought in because I hadn't even thought of it in that way. I was more thinking of it as we're not going to allow this individual's guilt to define his life for the rest of his life. Uh, we're not going to say that I was reading it as, as if Paul was saying, yes, this person did wrong and they deserve punishment, um, but also their sin or their guilt isn't going to define their future. Because wouldn't Satan love that for your sin to define who you are? So, That's good, too. That's really good. I like that one, too. <laughs> it might even be both. Hey, how about that?
I'm wondering what's an ex a time that you sought out forgiveness and received it, and what about receiving that forgiveness made it real for you? And by that, I mean, what made you feel like I've got a future with this person who's offered me this forgiveness, and even though I, I know what I did was wrong, it won't um, define whether or not I have a future with this person. I would, I guess my question would be, what's your favorite story of forgiveness? When was a time that you extended forgiveness to somebody else? And how did that change your relationship with them? And how did it change you to extend forgiveness to them?